Welcome to the Tech Legal Matters podcast by iAfrican Radio. Since 2015, we at iAfrican.com have been doing research and publishing about significant data breaches and leaks across Africa. Some we have reported on publicly, while others were too sensitive and we simply notified the relevant authorities without publicly reporting on them. During the same period, we have also researched and reported extensively on cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection-related matters across Africa. What we have always observed is that not many people and organizations understand the legal implications of the various technologies that they use. In this podcast, we will explore these topics and more, with a specific focus on the intersection of technology and the law, how that affects you as an individual, but also from a business perspective. New episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast will be broadcast every Friday. The podcast will also feature analysis, insights, and commentary from attorneys who specialize in information and communications technology law. My name is Defo Mohapi, and I will be your host. On 17 August 2020, Momentum Metropolitan, a South African-based financial services group of companies listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, released a public statement in which it said that it had suffered a cyber attack. Momentum Metropolitan didn't share any further details except to say that A third party unlawfully accessed a limited portion of data of a subsidiary of the group. Two months before the Momentum Metropolitan cyber attack, we learned from a statement by the company that Life Healthcare Group, a private healthcare company that is also listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, that it suffered a cyber attack. The company in a statement said that it was a victim of a targeted criminal attack on its IT systems. In both instances, we only got to hear the company's versions of what happened. There were no independent investigations, and to date, there have been no further details about the cyber attack incident and how they affected customers. It has just been silent. Now, a couple of days after the revelation regarding the Momentum Metropolitan cyber attack in August, we got to hear about what is South Africa's second largest data breach. Although, if we are to be strictly honest, it wasn't a data breach in the strictest sense of the words. Before I explain why I say it wasn't a data breach, and before you hear from more people regarding this eyebrow-raising data protection incident in South Africa on this episode of the Tech Legal Matters podcast, I want to share with you something we are excited about at iAfrican Media. We at iAfrican Media are partnering with the World Cybersecurity Summit, Africa Edition 2020, organized by Tresco. We will be their exclusive podcast partner as we bring you exclusive interviews and insights from the Cybersecurity Virtual Conference, which will be hosted on the newly launched virtual events platform, VMeets. This leading cybersecurity event will gather top cybersecurity experts and professionals from across Africa who will discuss new age threats and explore strategies to mitigate them. For more details, please visit africa.worldcybersecuritysummit.com. That's africa.worldcybersecuritysummit.com. Now, as I was saying, a couple of days after the Momentum Metropolitan Cyber Attack was revealed on 19 August 2020, we got to learn of the second largest data breach ever to be experienced in South Africa. It involved Experian. 
an Irish domiciled global consumer credit reporting company, which also has an office in South Africa and several other African countries. The data breach, interestingly enough, was first publicly revealed by the South African Banking Risk Information Center, SABRIC for short, and it actually didn't involve any breach of Experian security systems. SABRIC in their statement said that, Experian has confirmed that the breach has been reported to law enforcement and the appropriate regulatory authorities. Banks have been working with Experian and South African Bank Risk Center, Slabric, to identify which of their customers may have been exposed to the breach and to protect their personal information. Even as the investigation unfolds, banks and Sabric have also been cooperating with Experian in their efforts to secure the data and ensure the perpetrators are brought to book. What is interesting and why we are highlighting that it was Sebrick that first made the data breach publicly known is because not only would Experian issue a public statement many hours after Sebrick's statement, but their statement said that they had curtailed the data incident rather than suffered a data breach. Ferdy Peterson, Experian CEO, would further confirm the incident as first publicized by Sebrick. Experian South Africa can confirm an isolated incident in South Africa involving a fraudulent data inquiry. Firstly, on behalf of Experian South Africa, I would like to apologize to anyone who is concerned or anxious about the event and to assure you that we have the matter under control. Throughout Experian's press statement and Peters' interview with iAfrican.com, the word data breach is never mentioned. This is not only contrary to what Sebrick have stated, but also what all South African banks have stated, which is Experian suffered a data breach. This is also why it appears that Experian and Peters are not pleased that the public has been made aware of the data breach. Our investigations indicate that an individual in South Africa purporting to represent a legitimate client, fraudulently requested services from Experian. The services involve the release of information which is provided in the audit course of business or which is publicly available. At the time of Sabric's statement on 19 August, we were still at the sensitive stage of the investigation and the apprehension of the fraudster. Sabric's statement was released prematurely and has caused unnecessary panic. Wait a minute. Did Peterson just say that Sebrick's statement was released prematurely? Sebrick's statement was released prematurely and has caused unnecessary panic. Saying it is premature is rather odd because as soon as we at iAfrican.com heard that there was a data breach at Experian, we contacted the Office of the Information Regulator of South Africa and specifically asked if Experian confirmed that it had suffered a data breach or whether it was negligence on their part. The Information Regulator Chairperson Advocate Ptakula confirmed that In the letter of 14 August 2020, Experian advised the regulator that they were a victim of fraudulent misrepresentation that occurred in May 2020. The regulator would then further confirm to African.com that Experian told them that they only discovered the data breach on 22 July 2020. Now let's calculate quickly. That's about two months from the incident taking place to Experian discovering it. Another month or so from Experian discovering the data breach to them notifying the regulator. And another week before Sabric would release a public statement revealing the data breach. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound like the Sabric statement was premature at all, as Peterson says, but rather that Experian and Peterson wanted to not disclose the data breach for as long as they possibly could, or perhaps even cover up the data breach. 
The other concern is that Peterson says that the personal information of 24 million South Africans given to the alleged fraudster was publicly available. Let me refresh your memory on what Peterson said. Our investigations indicate that an individual in South Africa purporting to represent a legitimate client fraudulently requested services from Experian. The services involve the release of information which is provided in the ordinary course of business or which is publicly available. This is rather confusing, or more accurately, I suspect that Peterson is equivocating. Because if the information that is partly at the core of Experian's business model is publicly available, then why is Experian in business at all? Also, what Experian CEO is saying sounds like he wants to avoid responsibility should any problems arise from any criminals using the data for identity theft or social engineering purposes. What Peterson says also in some way contradicts what some of South Africa's banks have been saying and warning their customers about as soon as the Experian data breach was made public. I have to say that I think consumers don't have to panic about this. We have had a decent look at the information that was shared and it looks like on the retail side, even though it is a very large set of customers, it is only contact information that was shared. And then on the business side, also quite a large number of customers were mentioned, something like 800,000. But it does appear yes. like the actual number is a lot less than that. It may be even you know, a factor um, less than that. But in the case of the businesses, likely more information was uh, disclosed. That's Dr. Christoph Nievold, CEO of FNB South Africa's Consumer Banking. I had the opportunity to talk to Dr. Christoph Nievold a day after FNB had released their statement, alerting their customers on the Experian data breach and asking them to be alert and vigilant. Instead of being vague about the data involved in the data breach, Dr. Nivold is more specific than Experian CEO Ferdy Peterson, highlighting once again that Experian and Peterson are reluctant to come clean on details regarding this data breach to consumers. Also, FNB, just like other banks in South Africa, despite saying that consumers shouldn't panic, does highlight the need that their customers need to be alert and vigilant when it comes to their banking details, especially online banking details. What is more worrying, as Dr. Nevold says, is that the person who got the data from experience appears to already be in possession of full names and identity numbers of people in South Africa. What it looks like to us is that this individual already had names and IDs. The bureau basically supplied uh, the individual with the contact details. And the contact details being your phone number, email address if you have one, um, residential address, and potentially employment, depending on information that the bureau held. That is very worrying. Worrying not only because this person has had the data as mentioned by Dr. Nivold, but has had this data since May 2020. Also worrying that only during the week of 19 August was Experian in the process of finding and having this person arrested. At the time of Sabrick's statement on 19 August, we were still at the center stage of the investigation and the apprehension of the fraudster. Sabrick's statement was released prematurely and has caused unnecessary panic. Experian has identified the suspect and the individual's hardware has been impounded and the misappropriate data secured and deleted. Again, it sounds like Peterson is trying to downplay the data breach experienced by his company by saying that the data was publicly available and that it was deleted. Deleted only after several months since the alleged fraudster had it since May 2020, we need to highlight. 
I also have to disagree to a certain extent with both Dr. Nevold and Peterse when they say consumers shouldn't panic. There is a risk, as Dr. Nevold would also say in our interview about the experienced data breach. There's two main risks. The one would be identity fraud where they're impersonating you and taking out a loan, etc. They would obviously need more information than just that to do it, but that would be part of it. And the other one would be to do phishing attacks. So either, you know, because there's email addresses, they could send fake emails, they can send fake SMSs, even phishing, um, you know, but that would have to be a syndicated activity. I have to say that Experian have reported this person has been caught and that actual data has been impounded. So at this stage, it is not clear that this information actually has been used for any syndicate or criminal activity. We're also not aware of any actual frauds that have been committed. For several years at iAfrican.com, we have been reporting on data protection, privacy, and data breaches. A common pattern that repeats itself is that many people think data breaches are victimless crimes. You know, it's just some data. What can really happen? If you recall at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that the Experian data breach is the second largest data breach experienced in South Africa. That is because in 2017, during an investigation between iAfrican.com and Australian security researcher Troy Hunt, we discovered a database containing close to 60 million unique records of personal information of people in South Africa, such as identity numbers, addresses, income information, company directorships, and much, much more. I mentioned this because at the time and until now, absolutely nothing has been done by any authorities to conclude investigations into this act of negligence, as the company, which is known to iAfrican and authorities, left the database on a publicly viewable directory. This brings me back to why you, as a consumer, should panic and be on the lookout. Remember, the fraudster involved in the Experian data breach had the data since May 2020, according to the company's report to the regulator. They also only got hold of the person during the week of 19 August 2020, and as Peterson said, they then proceeded to delete the data. Let's be honest. Deleting the data after several months really means nothing, as there could be copies of the data elsewhere. Worse still, the fraudster could have sold the data or given the data to other people. But what should really concern consumers, and indeed cause you to panic, is that with all this information, all it takes is some simple social engineering to trick consumers out of their money. One such horror story that we know of involving social engineering took place on 5 August 2020. The criminals were in possession of the victim's contact information and other details which made it easy for them to convince the victim that they were calling from a South African bank. Something that happened to my 77-year-old mother, she's a retired teacher, she's not tech-savvy at all. She's been with Standard Bank pretty much most of her life, for over 50 years she's been with Standard Bank. And on the 5th of August, she was a victim of a number of fraudulent transactions against her account. And what happened is someone phoned her up, uh, claimed they were from Standard Bank's fraud department, ironically, and verified themselves by sharing a lot of her own personal information with her. So things like her address, um, her phone number, um, actually verified the number of cards bank cards she had, which is all the kind of data that a credit agency would have, um, as well as a bank would have. So she had no reason to think that this wasn't someone from Standard Bank phoning her up. Because, you know, things like her landline, she no one has that number that this person read, read back her landline number to her, but it's the kind of detail a bank would have. So these kind of personal details that are not, not widely known. That is Ant Stanley, 
as he relates an ongoing investigation and case into how his 77-year-old mother, Pat Stanley, was tricked using social engineering and her contact details like those that could be found in the Experian data breach to share her standard bank one-time pin as criminals proceeded to make purchases of over 100,000 rands over a period of half an hour while they were speaking to her on the phone. We just need to verify who you are and we're going to send you a one-time password. So they told her obviously there was an issue, we just want to verify you are who you are and they sent her what she thought was the bank genuinely sending her a one-time password. What was actually happening is these fraudsters were busy doing an online transaction. I think that first transaction was buying airtime on MTN, thousand rand, just to test to see if it works, I would assume. She didn't realize that this was happening at all. And what they were doing on the phone to her is they were saying, you know, not a problem. You know, there might have been an issue with that one-time password, didn't work properly. Um, we're just going to send you another one to make sure. And because she's not tech savvy and she didn't realize that this could happen, she completely trusted the person on the phone that they were from Standard Bank because they had all this information. This happened multiple times. And it was across, I think there ended up being, the final number was 13 transactions, just over 100,000 Rand got taken out of her account. The interesting thing about this is that what happened to Pat Stanley is typically what a bank would do. I know that when I shop on an e-commerce store for the first time that I've never shopped on before, my bank either blocks the transaction or calls me instantly to verify. So it is not surprising that Pat Stanley would trust the people on the phone considering also that they had her contact details and other details on her bank accounts. This suggests that either the information in the data breaches is much more than we are being told or alternatively, there is a syndicate that uses information from data breaches to work with staff at banks and various retail stores. People will say, you know, my mother shouldn't have given a one-time password, you know, maybe she was a bit silly to do that, but she's not tech savvy. And the reality is if someone had her card details, because that's the other side of the experience breach didn't include card details. So they got her card details from somewhere else. That could have been in a shop. She still does silly things like hands her card over or something like that. So if her card got cloned or her card details were obtained from somewhere else, they use the experience data to present themselves as a genuine business and they're able to get away with it. The frustrating thing for me is Standard Bank didn't seem to have any protection against this at all massively it is a worry and that is the worry that standard bank appears not to have had any protections against such criminal activity but also that experience says that the public disclosure of the data breach is causing unnecessary panic Given situations like Pat Stanley's where she not only lost over 100,000 rands but is also battling her own bank to reverse the transactions and repay her, you really have to wonder why Experian is so adamant in not sharing details about this data breach. So the bank investigated for a short period of time and they came back what looked like a pretty standard email listing all the transactions, all the fraudulent transactions um, and they said that because none of the unauthorized transactions were sending money to them, there's nothing they could do, which I find bizarre because I run a business that takes online transactions and we occasionally get disputes from cardholders. I found it bizarre, the bank going, oh, there's nothing they can do. And so the way my mother found out is when she checked a bank statement the next day. So Standard Bank didn't notify her, oh, we think there's a fraudulent breach or anything like that. When she checked the bank statement the next day, going, what is all of this? And then she recalled, recalled all of that. So yeah, like it's not like they could have reversed those transactions and for some reason they haven't. This is really a sad story that highlights the eventual victims of data breaches like the one Experian experienced. It is also likely that given the increasing amounts of data breaches, Pat Stanley is among many who have fallen prey to such criminals and lost her money. This also makes you wonder if Experian or its CEO 
really care about the risks presented by the information falling into criminals' hands. If they did care, the disclosure would have been done speedily so that consumers can know in time and most importantly, Experian and Freddie Peterson wouldn't try to PR their way out of such an important matter. We want to reassure South Africa that the data has been deleted. The information concerned was publicly available information and we believe that the incident has been contained. Remember to tell your friends, family and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes of the Tech Legal Matters podcast and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.